Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> You're listening first time dance. With me, Richard Innes. And me, Steve Meyer. You might think that being a doctor would make being a dad a little bit easier. Truth is, if anything, it can make it a bit more difficult, as our guest on this episode uh, is about to explain. We spoke to Dr. Oscar Duke, who is a television presenter and author of How to Be a Dad, Pregnancy, Birth and Dirty Nappies for the Modern Man. Uh, I wasn't in the studio for this one, but Rich will explain that. Hello, Oscar. Thank you very much for coming in and joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, as we should probably, uh, just before we dive in, you, you're going to hear a very tinny-sounding voice in the background in a moment, and that will be my, my co-host, Steve Mile, who is still at home recuperating from a double hernia. Hello. <laughs> sounding <laughs> suitably sorrowful and, and, you know, kind of full of self-pity in the background there, Steve. Yeah, yeah getting a bit weak too, starting to get a bit boring. Yeah, I bet it is. Well, um, we, it, ironically, given that Steve's uh, just been subject to quite a dramatic uh, procedure, we, we do, Oscar is a, a GP and a doctor. So um, Steve's already picked his brains on his recovery uh, off air. So now we can get into the serious business of talking about dadding and, uh, and doctoring. Um, You're a new dad, Oscar, aren't you? Relatively new dad. Yeah, relatively new. I've got a daughter who's 15 months old now. So it feels like only yesterday, but... You keep saying, I keep saying to people, oh, I'm a new dad, and you know, mm. actually, you can't get that badge anymore. I'm not sure where the cutoff <laughs> comes, actually. I think maybe it's once you actually, if you if you then do have a second child, maybe that is then the cutoff. It's very difficult to say I'm a new dad, when it's like, well, actually, I've done it twice. Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think, but up until the point where I had my second son, I think I would probably still describe myself as a new dad, mm. maybe just in the sense that I still don't feel like I know what the hell I'm doing. I feel like most people, if you say your baby's over a year old and you still say you're a new dad, look at you a bit like, that's not new. <laughs> Yeah. You're ju- you're just scared. He should be fully accustomised yeah. to all the sleep yeah, deprivation yeah. and any problems that dads might have. <laughs> now, Oscar, she's fifteen months. My daughter's fifteen months. How's she sleeping? My daughter doesn't sleep. Uh, we have to say we have been those sort of annoying parents. Oh, he's going to say she sleeps. It's been really good. <laughs> That's deep. I knew you. They say never ask a question before you know that you don't already know the answer. Yeah. To, and I knew what that was going to yeah. be the answer. You know? I can hear Steve's teeth gritting down there, down the line. Grinding, grinding. grinding. Yeah. <laughs> it's the classic sort of group from some antenatal class, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. the annoying parent. And you have to apologise for being lucky with your child behaving well. Yeah. Which, which you know is just kind of social etiquette, but also is a bit mental. No like, walking. I'm really. Sorry that I, I'm not stressed out, you know. But yeah. no walk- did, you say, did you say no walking? No walking, not not a big mover. Uh, sort uh, of. Mine's running. Uh, well, there you go. You see, <laughs> mine's, mine's mine has got her own new balance. Thank how much running she's doing. Good lord! Thank goodness for all the different developmental. Domains, yeah, yeah. so you can tick at least one box. Yeah, very good well, talker. Exactly. My my Thank first you. big question to you, Oscar, would be regarding, and we did just discuss this before we started recording. So regarding your own fifteen month old, because my my son actually went um, had some surgery at Great Ormond Street when he was six months old, and he's been in hospital several times. And knowing how stressful that can be, 
as a doctor, you because I go, when we go into hospital, and as I say, we've been in several times, we put ourselves in the hands of the doctors and their expertise and their training and, and their experience. You obviously are a doctor, so you know what these guys know. So how does it differ for you when you go in with a with your child? Have you have you had an experience yet where your daughter's been been sick or so touch wood other than the birth? Mm. No, um, I think I've I sort of see it, I suppose in my job all the time because yeah. there was the doctor me before I was a dad and and then now it really came home for me actually in some the other part of other than doctoring all the time but when I'm doing sort of documentaries and the media side of my work that I went to. Um, Moorfields Eye Hospital to do a documentary for the NHS 70th anniversary and it was actually just after my daughter had been born and I've been into operating theatres loads of times and then we were going to see this latest stem cell research um, operation which was hoping to restore this young girl's vision so it was quite a big sort of poignant moment mm. and the very experienced director and cameraman who were with me I suddenly found outside we'd all changed into scrubs and there'd been a bit of a laugh about that and suddenly they were both standing there in tears and I thought, what on earth happened? And I, I said, you know, and they said, oh, there's just this thought of this tiny child going through this procedure mm. and what that means for them and for their family. And I felt like I was a sort of really bad person because I hadn't even crossed my mind on that emotional level. And I think it's such a combination of all the training that you go through that you mm. do probably have to be quite emotionally withdrawn as a doctor to function. Otherwise, you know, because there's a lot of sad stuff that we come across, a lot of happy stuff, yeah. but also a lot of sad stuff. So... I had sort of felt nothing. I thought, I've even now had a baby. You know, I should be this person yeah. crying in the corridor outside. And these all these people had made some horrible documentaries in their time. Um, but but I didn't. And I think that has now come with time. And I think I would be a lot worse now. I really notice, you know, mm. even like going to watch Mary Poppins with my daughter at the cinema, you know, like <laughs> blubbing. So you, you have softened, do you think? Definitely softened, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. My, my wife can't watch any drama about child abduction anymore. Not that that was a big part of her. I was going to say, was that a regular? Sort of, was a regular bit of viewing at the Mile household? Yeah, no, <laughs> a the fave. Missing, that, that program, the missing. And oh the, yeah. You know, stuff. Um, you know, uh, other stuff that you know, you just if that's got an element of that in it, she just won't watch it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true actually. In my, um, I, I was just saying to us, I just read the book. Um, uh, this is going to hurt by Adam Kay, who was a former junior doctor and uh, obstetrician. So the guy who had delivered, you know, sort of thousands of babies uh, and having finished reading it, it is brilliant and funny and heartwarming uh, and also quite terrifying. Uh, my wife, who gave birth a month ago, said, oh, should I read it? And I said, yeah, maybe give it a while. Yeah, give it a few because, weeks. Because <laughs> <laughs> the stuff you find out about what, and, you know, I guess that's what where the insight that you must have as well. That's the, the, the stuff that people just don't realise goes on behind the scenes when it comes to caring for children and babies. It's just some of it. I suppose just by the very nature, you you are kind of guessing in certain situations, aren't you? And just trying, you know, best case scenarios and guesstimates. Yeah, and and I think the big thing actually for patients that I found is that their perception of you changes if they mm. know that you're a dad or, or or a mother if you're a female doctor. So I think it's there's that reassurance that often you get very anxious new parents coming in, whereas before I still had the knowledge, I'd still done mm. the training, I'd still done hours of paediatric on calls or whatever it might be. But they're sort of looking at you, and I suppose your confidence is not quite the same. And sometimes now, once you've sort of given the medical bit, I say, mm. look, 
my daughter had exactly the same thing. We did this and then everything was fine. And often actually that's much more powerful than yeah, yeah. quoting some paper. Or so you will deliberately drop it into conversation sometimes just to yeah. make people aware that you, you understand uh, you know, their concerns or their anxieties. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's one of the most helpful things you can do. Yeah. Um, and so it, it has changed how I practice in that way. But you also do feel it more for them. You know, mm. I think before for me, you'd hear them telling you about how they hadn't had any sleep last night because their baby was crying and they had a temperature all night. And yes, of course, you can imagine that that's not great. But now you really know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Empathy is a great uh, thing, isn't it? And that empathy really comes through. Does that has that changed? Do you think you've diagnosed certain things or treat? Or maybe diagnosed is the wrong word. Maybe treated certain things, uh, certain cases differently, uh, having become a father than you would have done beforehand. Probably overall everything's fairly similar. Mm. I think I I may feel slightly more relaxed around babies generally. Mm. There's a, there a big um, recent patient safety announcement about the number of babies who were dropped in hospitals in yeah, the NHS. Yeah, I read, read it the weekend in the Sunday Times, wasn't it? And, and there's a lot of chat, yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of chat about um, dads and, and parents generally. It t- I can't remember the exact figures, but well over 90%, I think maybe even 95 or 99% of the people who dropped them were either the baby's or the baby's parents or visiting relatives. Mm. And very few, luckily, were the, the healthcare professionals. <laughs> That's um, reassuring. But I think yeah. even that, even when you've done loads of baby checks, going around awards, seeing all the new babies, when you're doing sort of pediatric placements or jobs as a medical student and a junior doctor, if you don't have a child, there is still that sort of slight fear of the mm. baby. Um, but then also you've got an advantage that you do have a slight detachment and i think sometimes being slightly emotionally detached of course you want to be able to be empathetic mm. but having some emotional detachment is really helpful because otherwise you end up in you, you couldn't know, be in involved yeah because how i mean you know you, you might be in any given day you might be seeing what dozens of children yeah, I suppose. exactly i remember when i when i worked in a and e and they were filming 24 hours in a and e i'd often find one of the assistant producers around the corner just in floods of tears who'd been working on the sort of same case and looking after mm. the same patient that I was looking after as a doctor and you realize that there are so many different ways you can approach looking at something and actually if you spend too much time as a doctor thinking about the impact that say a new diagnosis of lung cancer is having on the family in that immediate emergency situation you get a bit sidetracked away from the science and, and fixing the problem as much as you can there and then. That's very interesting. That's and very interesting. I, it's, it, 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 it sparked a thought in me, actually, of the times when I have been in hospital with Ben, my oldest, and wondering, actually, if there are certain things I should have been asking or doing or thinking uh, or you know inquiring about that perhaps I wasn't. Because now I'm wondering if you were in a situation where you were in with your daughter you would obviously know it from the other side. You know what those guys, you know what their processes are, you know what their thought process is, what the next thing is, the, the pressures that will be on them in terms of other cases and workload. And I'm wondering if you would have any tips if, if you were somebody like me who was going in, you know, with, with a sort of, let's say, a non-emergency case where you're going in because you're concerned your child isn't very well, would you give any specific tips to dads who were trying to think, okay, what should, what's my first step here? What should, how should I talk to the nurses? What should I say to the doctors? Are there any sort of magic buttons to press in that sense? I think having a list of things before you go in that yeah. you want to ask is really helpful because the number of patients who come to see me and say, oh, there's definitely something else I wanted to ask or, or mum wants to know something and yeah. now I'm going to be in trouble because I've forgotten. And <laughs> I've I think, said those exact <laughs> words before. And then I'm sure they get out and I'm on to my next patient and then yeah. they're like, oh, it was that was the question I needed to ask. So I think writing down what you want to know before is mm. quite good and it also focuses and helps the doctor because 
there is a limited amount of time within the NHS. Um, and obviously we prioritise looking after children who are unwell. Mm. So it is, it's important to have that kind of list. Other tips... I don't think I'd do anything that differently. Interestingly, mm. so when I went with my daughter for her injections, my wife, I, I was working, so as I sent, she had to go on her own with, with my daughter because I was busy. And I felt really bad afterwards. And I thought the next time we're going to arrange it properly yeah. at a time where I can go. And I didn't tell them that I was a doctor. And I think often that's the best approach. Sometimes it's probably mm. useful you have that insider knowledge. But often it gives it and adds stress you know people mm. to the person who is the healthcare professional if they think they're being monitored or watched and and that's often not what you want you know you don't want people doing these people are doing it most of them incredibly well mm. all the time and you want them to just be in their normal comfort zone telling you because if you start saying to people oh i'm a doctor they'll stop telling you the information that they would tell a normal parent mm. who they don't think knows um, and actually you may find that i haven't thought of that at all because it's your daughter your mind yeah, is somewhere yeah. else so also when i see parents who are doctors or nurses i just try to treat them like everybody else and if they say to me I, i'm a pediatrician I, you don't have to tell me about calpol then fine <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 most people actually either don't tell you or are very happy to be in that kind of patient role because it is a different place it, you're you're more vulnerable because it, it is your son or your daughter yeah mm -hmm. i could say steve you were talking about i was going to say steve you were talking about when we had chris uh, chris van Tullican on Yes, yes. He said that, you know, he did a documentary about Calpo and how perhaps we give it too often. And uh, uh, he finds himself giving it just, just in exactly the same way as the rest of us, even though he knows that we probably give it too often. Yeah, there's so, definitely being a doctor and being a dad. And the two things don't often correlate, I presume. No, not necessarily. <laughs> I was originally going to call my book actually Doctor to Dad. Because that was the sort of idea behind yeah. it was that I had the medical facts and then suddenly I've become the dad and actually mm. none of the practical knowledge was there. But then we decided it sounded a bit too like a book just for doctors who were becoming dads, which was a, oh, bit, a bit of a niche market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's probably a few. What, what was it like for you at, around the birth? Because presumably, I mean, I know that's not necessarily your, you're a GP, you're not, you're not an obstetrician, but you must have had, you know, a very big understanding of all the all the question questions around birth whereas you know i remember the first time uh with my first kid and just being completely clueless and desperate and i'm that sort of person who wants information i, I want to know it's like no no tell me why you're doing that and so i was i must have been annoying the hell out of all the nurses and midwives and doctors <laughs> tell me why that's happening uh whereas for you is it more a case of you kind of you already know so you don't have to worry or does it worry you more because you know I think it's a massive combination of both. And yeah. the reason I wanted to write this book was because exactly that. I had that theoretical knowledge, you know, yeah. all sorts of exams, postgraduate exams, hours of on-call night shifts, both obstetrics and gynecology and also paediatrics, so kind of before and after the birth. Mm. But then I, I went to, I was slightly reluctantly taken along to antenatal classes by my wife. <laughs> and I think like, like a lot of dads. Yeah. And I just sat in the first time, I'm learning so much. And if I don't know this and I've had all of this experience, what must everybody else be going through? And a lot of that is the practical stuff. Um, mm. I think it's made me probably, me probably more relaxed. But that's definitely not the case for all doctors who become parents. I think it, it, there's a there's a personality element as well. I'm fairly relaxed as a person, um, but a lot of my colleagues who have children, I, I know that you know you're so acutely aware of all the things that can go yeah, wrong, yeah, all the risks, all the dangers, yeah. and all, I, some, you know there must be a case where ignorance is bliss in certain yeah, situations. I think there is, but when I've been talking to dads for the book, the 
the time around birth, and particularly if people are in hospital, mm. is obviously incredibly stressful for dads. And I think that's something we don't necessarily talk about enough because these are often young men who haven't been into hospital that much. They're not familiar with that environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I found that really helpful. I think that was the biggest bonus for me. Yes, I was aware of you know, if the heart rate's dropping a bit, you're sort of thinking, oh gosh, what's going on here? But actually, overall, I was quite at home. I've spent the last 10 years working in and around wards with midwives, doctors, bleeping machines, anaesthetists coming in, mm. epidurals. So it, it almost feels like a bit like a second home. So... I hope, for my wife's sake, that that was quite useful because I was <laughs> fairly calm. And most dads I've spoken to say that they, they're trying to keep this cool dad persona yeah. above water and underneath they are swimming like hell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, th- what would be your tips then in terms of, because obviously the, the premise of the book, as you say, is to you know, how to be a dad. It's, it's to kind of know how to, what to ask and what to do in these scenarios. So we have a lot of, you know, Steve and I know we have a lot of expectant dads who listen to the podcast trying to get as much information as possible before D-Day, as it were. So what would be your your advice to, to guys who are going in, you know, know they're going to be going, their, their partner will be in labour soon. What what should they be doing in terms of the way they communicate with midwives, nurses, doctors, et cetera, during a birth? I think you really want to open those channels of communication. You And to be informed is really helpful. If you know as much as you can about all the different possibilities, then the jargon, the lingo, the things that you come across as you go through that, often in a kind of complete rush Mm. stressful situation at three o'clock in the morning with a bit of sleep deprivation thrown in for good measure <laughs> is a bit easier to comprehend and even as a doctor you're still thinking oh, what's hang on what's that you know when you're not working and it's not your mm. job to be doing that it's very different and, and you're and you're also there with somebody that hopefully you still really love and care about and that makes it quite horrifying sometimes if they're in pain or discomfort yeah, yeah, or i remember that feeling that was that was a big surprise you know you know it's coming of course but it's not until you see the level of discomfort and pain and agony and you think my god that's you know oh, what can i do here awful and of course that for a woman in labor is is awful and hopefully as doctors we can try and reduce that significantly mm. but actually often when you speak to them afterwards mums even have said to me i felt much more sorry for my other half who was standing there because i was on the gas and air and slightly <laughs> away with the fairies and yeah. he's just there kind of in his jeans and t-shirt with all these people perhaps and hopefully not so much these days slightly ignoring him and he was yeah. horrified watching as you know they got out the episiotomy well, scissors there's definitely or, a bit of that i remember when my uh, when we had to go in for an emergency c-section and i'm busy kind of no, no, wait, explain it to me. Tell me what's going on. I don't know what's happening. Whereas my wife, because of course by that point she is away with the fairies. Yeah, yeah, fine. Let's just get on with it. Um, so uh, yeah, it, you do feel stuck, I think, as a dad in those scenario, in those situations. You're not quite sure. You, you mentioned jargon and lingo. What, what are the, you know, obviously you did a lot of research for the book. What are the things that most surprised you that a lot of dads didn't know or understand? Oh, where to begin? Uh, <laughs> the whole so I thing. To explain the book, yeah. basically. Didn't I? Sorry, yeah. I think most dads knew how to how to get somebody pregnant, and that was often it. <laughs> most, <laughs> not quite most, all. Most, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think the whole. Pro- uh, most people know that it take labour, particularly the first time, can take a very long time. Mm. I think understanding the different stages of labour and where the time to involve the midwives when the times that you should be worried you know if there's and uh, i think those are the, the, the key things that people need to try and grasp because once labor properly kicks in as you do as you both know, you know the person in labor is, is kind of doing their thing and, mm. and and often now you know we're talking a lot about kind of hypnobirthing and mindfulness and if they're kind of getting into that zone that nature intended for them to be in they're not 
thinking exactly straight about the different phases of labor and how many centimeters this or this shouldn't be happening at yeah um, and and most of the time the midwives can support with that but i think particularly if you're having your baby at home just you know laboring in the early phases at home it, it's really useful to have an idea about all of those different stages and most dads i came across just have never even contemplated how that might happen <laughs> mm-hmm. oscar how um as a you know you're busy professional man how did you have you found the kind of the work-life balance with being a new dad because you've got to be you know broadcasting career you're a gp they're two quite busy jobs and and then suddenly you've got a, a, a you know a small baby girl who you know you want to spend time with how have you managed that well paternity leave was brilliant that's the first time i'd had two weeks off in uh, my whole career i think <laughs> uh, so i loved that element of it um but then as with all these things especially with the sort of broadcasting side of things more freelance suddenly just at the end of that they said would well, i come and film some documentary so you're slightly off and away i, I thought that and it, I suppose it's something that all new dads and parents talk about is, is the sleep element. And I, I thought that above everything, that would be something that I would have down because I've done so many night shifts, still working in A&E on a ward, going to a cardiac arrest at four in the morning and having to really you know, think in a stressful, but also potentially life-saving situation. Mm. And I thought that would have prepared me for being tired at work and being tired just generally the whole time and it really didn't <laughs> because and i've worked is it a different what, sort of exhaustion yeah it's a different sort of exhaustion because there is no respite period there's no day no, in lieu exactly or no, no week off there's no lie in no exactly there's no saturday morning lying is there yeah before you know i could do a week of nights you'd have a day or two off you could have a lion and yeah. now that's just not an option. That is the thing, actually. And I, I think that's that's always my big red flag. If someone could have told me beforehand, you know, everyone talks about how all-encompassing it is as being a parent, and we all know that. But the, you're right, the lack of respite, that is the thing that gets me. And I do, for, on my bad days, I will say to my wife, when when are we next, you know, when do you think we'll next go out for dinner, just the two of us? When do you think we'll actually get a lie in? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got a month old. He's being breastfed. Okay, so basically, okay, so basically for the next year, that, that you know, a year from now, I might be able to leave him for one night with my parents and we could go away for a night. Yeah. And, but that, and that's yeah. literally, I've, I've got one day of respite planned in a year from now. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> You're going to feel tired. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you can find any <laughs> period of time, even if just a couple of hours, and mm-hmm. you're lucky enough to have a parent or a friend or or somebody that you trust who can look after your baby and you guys just go to the nearest whatever it is to just have a little bit of time yeah (laughs) just a little bit i think that's so important and you've got to you've got to kind of fill up your cup to be able to give back i I think that's such an important part of parenting yeah sorry go on steve um did you find oscar you know friends of yours who have got maybe had children before you there's a sort of you join you're joining a club where everybody is sort of experienced the same sort of thing and there's a bit of solidarity in that or because you know it's quite a stressful time for a for a dad and there's the support networks that women have got well documented but but for, for dads it's and that's where this podcast comes from really we feel that there's not always that there for dads yeah i think you're right you definitely get that sense that you are joining some sort of dad club but then equally i think a lot of dads and goes across all kind of mental health in men generally we know that guys are worse at talking about it than women Mm. Uh, and luckily trends are changing and and 
things that people are becoming more open and hopefully that's where this book fits in as well that mm. in every chapter i wrote the kind of medical factual stuff you need to know but then for me the bit that i think is most important and makes it most unique is that the second part is just how i felt what happened yeah. what, why my wife was throwing crockery at me and had never ever done anything like that before or <laughs> you know how it felt when the midwife got out her episiotomy scissors those sorts of questions yeah. Yeah. i think yeah. you're right i think dads don't and yes there aren't the platforms maybe for them to do it but i think mm. men are less inclined to speak about those things anyway probably so absolutely yeah. we need an extra boost to encourage us to uh to do that well that's as steve said you know that's partly what the podcast here you know that's what that's what we're attempting to do here and that's why when we we heard about your book we thought god this is you know a perfect match because uh, yeah. what you're doing in the book is essentially what we're doing in the podcast um steve yeah. mentioned your your friends and uh you know that that kind of network uh, which made me think, actually, before even before you were a father, and perhaps even more so, were you often used as a kind of free medical consultancy? Did you would you have friends kind of just doing the? Oh, would you mind just taking a look at my daughter's this or my son's that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my WhatsApp's full of rashes and <laughs> <laughs> nappy-related problems. Uh, I have often wondered. I thought, you know, because you don't want to go and waste the the NHS's time, of course, a valuable resource that, that is there. So I've often thought, God, if I just knew a doctor, yeah. if I had a doctor that I could just, I'll just send that picture. You've got my number now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it, no, you do get whole, all sorts of things. And, and it tends to be the photos of these kind of slightly uninterpretable rashes. And, yeah. and in fact... Uh, Has just, my kid got meningitis? Just yeah. Last weekend, we went to a friend's birthday and... Um, then my wife got a text from one of the other mums saying, oh, actually, well, my child's just come out in chicken pox. And so I hope your daughter hasn't caught it. And so you, there's this sort of week to 10 days of wait in every little spot that appeared. My wife and I think, oh, gosh, is that going to be chicken pox? Yeah. And, uh, and then my wife took her, her swimming yesterday and she was wearing sort of wetsuit rash vest type thing and came home and I suddenly I was at work and I got this video of this huge rash that was all over her and was it chicken pox? It doesn't really look like chicken pox but I hadn't had a chance to think much about what else mm. it might be and she was apparently fine and anyway I got home and it completely gone and of course it was just from whatever she'd been wearing in the swimming pool <laughs> <Of> course, <yeah. laughs> this is the thing yes this is yes. the thing we it's good to know that happens to doc in doctors families too you know oh, yeah. that happens at our house yeah, a lot didn't we didn't we have a uh, a guest on right at the very beginning of the podcast Rich who was a, who was a doctor and he told us a story about a man taking his daughter to A and E, saying that they, she had a, a straw-coloured liquid coming out of her nose, and it turned out that this guy was a doctor, and it was snot. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> I had one patient once whose child had a really weird-looking rash and sort of bluey black mark on their arm, and I, and I suddenly thought. And I, it was one of those moments, rare moments as a doctor where you think, I've, I've really got this. And I got one of the sort of alcohol wipes that we use for cleaning the skin and just wiped it off. And it was just some biro mark that had sort of smudged <laughs> into this <laughs> potential mole. You must get a lot of that. What, what, what would you say has been the most kind of... Because uh, I often worry about being you know, like an, uh, an overly nervous or cautious parent. You know, that's always what I'm thinking when we go down to the A&E or to the GP and you think, oh God, this is really a waste of time, but we're going to need to do this. Otherwise, we're just going to worry. What, what has there been any? Uh, uh, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of belters there, but are there any other examples where people have really kind of come in? You thought, what on earth are you doing here? Yeah, I, I think the thing that I struggle with most is, and it, it's such a difficult thing because children are are vulnerable. You know, mm. particularly children and elderly people. We try to really prioritise to see in in the clinics, and children can go from very quickly from abs very fine to really kind of falling off the edge of a cliff, and so 
I completely understand, and even more so now that I am a parent, mm. parents' worries. And so I think I'm less judgmental now than I perhaps was before. Where you, there was that inevitable thing. You, you know, sometimes I look at my watch and like, oh, I, I picked them up from school and they said they had a fever. And you sort of look at your watch and you know, so it's four o'clock now. School must have finished maybe half an hour ago. Yeah. They're they're fine. You know, you've told me they're fine. Maybe some cowpaw, see how they go, and then let us know. You know, it's actually very yeah. hard as a doctor to give an answer and then people are very dissatisfied because yeah. I can't probably tell you why you're unless there's an obvious cause why where this infection is yet yeah, it might take a few hours for the rash to come out or the nose to start running or mm. whatever it might be but equally you know if you're worried about your child then you have to get medical help and you'd never forgive yourself if you didn't and for every example of that that, that i can give of oh, why did they come too early there's somebody who will be able to tell you that they did go to the doctor and they didn't do something and mm. then something did happen so it's very difficult and it's what we do on a daily basis as doctors is kind of assess risk and do our very best. I think most doctors do that all the time within their capabilities to do the very best for their patient. And inevitably, mm-hmm. sometimes things catch you unawares. Yeah, I'm sure. And I guess what it goes back to what you were saying earlier about the best person to tell a doctor how a child is, is the parent. And the more time you're spending with your children, the more you get to know about their little quirks. And, you know, some children are quick to tears. Others take longer. Some kids have got a bad appetite all the time. Some kids are really good appetite, have a bad appetite when they're ill. And, and that's, I guess, how you can tell when something's not right by just being aware of what is the normal. Yeah, I think one of the things you learn early days in your sort of paediatrics at medical school is that ask the parents, speak to the parents. The parents do mm-hmm. know their child. Uh, but but then people get very worried and sometimes that's why you go to a doctor because you're going to see somebody who's A, been trained in making that assessment, isn't just yes. using Dr. Google and is also taking a more objective view than the sort of emotion, the sleep deprivation that we all know that you have as a parent, which can catastrophize even the smallest little biro rash or rash from something you wore in the I'm gonna rem- I'm gonna remember the biro rash, I have to say. Um I've we- got a question go on, go about the about you know future the future of our children. I mean you must have seen as a doctor the sort of rise of the adult obesity epidemic and all of the health we, we, we read today about obesity is you know as, as bad for you as cancer uh, is I mean what can you see things on the horizon that you know our 15 month old daughters are going to be in the midst of in, in, in years to come based on the direction of travel for our you know our health yeah, I was thinking about this just yesterday because we, we've got her little kitchen and we've got this sort of mm. plastic food stuff that we ordered on somewhere online. Yeah. And the, the first thing she pulls out is a burger and she loves pretending to eat the burger. I thought, well, that's maybe yeah. not a healthy eating <laughs> message for a 15-month-old. <laughs> no, um, no. And I think, yeah, obesity, increasing, hugely increasing levels of childhood obesity are all very, very worrying. And we have to do as much as we possibly can to to try and minimize that i think is that the big one obesity yeah i think so yeah and, and so there's a lot of research now about obesity and, and the direct link between that and, and cancer um, and obesity being a huge cause of cancer mm. which is something that we might have thought about before but we didn't really know for sure as a, as a medical community mm. so yeah i think we have to as parents i suppose you have to really think about trying to introduce healthy food groups not just resorting to fast food fatty foods Mm. and i think luckily there is more of a cultural awareness of that 
anyway, but just because there's awareness doesn't mean that people are doing it. And like all yeah. of these things, you know, it's it's stressful, it's fussy. They may not want to eat the things that are good and healthy for them, which makes life more difficult. And when you've had a busy day and you're exhausted, then you, you just want your child to eat something. And we've all been there. Yeah, we've yeah. all been there, definitely. And, Fast you know, food is cheap. Fast food and, is cheap, and fast food is cheap. Chips, yeah. pound or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. um, and it's uh, you know, and we haven't necessarily got the skill set of um, I don't think of um, producing fresh meals that perhaps our grandparents had coming through the war. Yeah, and I think that's such an important thing. You know, the, the best thing, and of course, it, it's difficult in a busy modern life, I'm sure. But you know, if you're cooking freshly cooked prepared home food with a good balance of all the different colors on the plate as they talk about sort mm. of healthy eating that and you know mushing some of that up and giving it to your child or whatever it might be then then that is probably going to be the best thing i don't think we can expect yeah. everyone just to be having broccoli, broccoli sticks and it's, kale it's the first thing that jackson says when he comes home from nursery when he walks through the door and he sees me stood at the, the stove he says what what are you cooking well, i want to see lift me up i want to see and he gets a stool and he stands and he leans on the side of the cooker and w- watches to see what it is. And I just think it's so important for him to be interested and engaged in what he's putting in his, his body. Um, and it'd be interested in it and rather than it just be something that you tip out of a cardboard box onto a tray into the oven. Mm. Yeah, and if you can generate that passion from a young age, then I suppose you're hopefully educating someone to be a healthy eater for, for life. Fingers crossed, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm aware we... like ice lollies, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, who doesn't like an ice lolly? Yeah. What's on your um, stove? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> we're, um, we're, I'm aware we're, we're sort of coming towards the end of our, our time here. Um, I wanted to ask you one really big, very difficult question. So okay. in the book, of course, you've come up with, you know, there's a lot of information there. Is there one bit of info, of all the kind of info you pull together, the medical stuff, that you think would be really, really, if you were to pick out that one bit that would be most useful to most of the dads who might be listening to this, you'd say, okay, if there's one thing you remember, take take it to be this. What, what, what would you pick out? Yeah, so I was quite pleased with an analogy that I came up with for how the cervix opens up to let out a baby. That was and, not what I was expecting, but let's go. <laughs> let's go. Okay. And that is... Because that's the thing that you're waiting for. Yeah, Everyone yeah. hears about this 10 centimetres and what and the I hell... Still have, yeah. I'll be honest with you, I still have no idea what a cervix what? is and I have had two children. So. Okay, so what the hell does that mean? So imagine a wine bottle, okay. turn yep. it upside down, cork still in, yep. so nothing's going to come out. Yeah, mm. And the baby yeah. is inside, is the wine, if yeah. you will. So the cervix is the neck of the wine bottle. Okay. Or the neck of the womb, which is what the cervix is. Yeah. And over the time that labour happens, over the different phases of labour... The cork has to come out, which is the show. And when the cork yeah. comes out, you often get some fluid coming out with that as well, a bit like the wine around the wine bottle. Yeah. But the baby can't get out of the bottle until the neck both shortens and widens to let out the baby's head. And that is what is happening during right. all those contractions, that time of labour. You know the, your audience as well. You, you've come up with an energy involving wine. So, so you definitely yeah, know that, yeah. that was it. And, uh, <laughs> that, that had me engaged from the, from the get-go. And nice. it was a great moment when the illustrator came back with this brilliant picture of a baby, in a, literally a baby in a bottle. Um, uh, and so I think that was the thing that I was like, how do you get this mythical idea of a cervix yeah. and somebody putting some fingers in to feel how wide apart something is? And so Ooh. all that your midwife or your partner's midwife is doing are putting if they're examining your partner to find out how dilated they are mm. just means they're just putting their fingers inside and feeling for that neck of the womb or the neck of the wine bottle yep. to see how big the opening is there and they go. 
Yeah. And there you go. Wow. Well, I, I've genuinely learned something there. That was, there you, I, go. you know, I had, I if think I had the basics. Do that two kids, two kids down, you're there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably, I'll probably yeah. never need to know that again no. now, but yes, yeah, so that's good. You know, after yeah, the fact. I definitely won't. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely 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 won't um well i think i think we've um we've we've sort of come to the end Oscar, of our, thank you. our time but yeah that was brilliant thank you very much indeed that's really really insightful because it's really interesting as steve and i were discussing beforehand you know it's really interesting to get a doctor's perspective because obviously we all if you have children one thing you will all be doing is talking to doctors as your child develops mm-hmm. that's you know thankfully we have that system in our country and long may it continue uh, but it's always nice to hear it from the other side because you're never quite sure indeed, what's going indeed. on. Yeah, I don't think it's any and easier as a doctor. <laughs> yeah, if you've listened to this week's episode and you have any questions about, you don't think we've answered, please leave them in the comments on iTunes and we'll endeavour to, to get to the bottom of, of any uh, any questions that are remaining. Indeed, yeah, and please share the love. And, you know, if whether it be a question or a review or anything, like just... Uh, Show, show us some love on a, on iTunes on the podcast app, uh, or you can listen to us through Acast, or we're on Spotify as well. But um, spread the word; let people know we're here. Um, yeah, um, put, if you're enjoying put it, tell in people. Front of some new dads. Yeah, exactly. New dads. We need we need more new dads. Let's have some more listeners. Uh, help us out, folks. Right. <laughs> uh, on on that uh, rather begging note, uh, I think we'll say goodbye. Thanks again, Oscar, for coming in. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, Steve, get get well soon, mate. And we'll we'll yeah, have you yeah, back see soon. See you next week, mate. I'll be back in the office next week. All right. See you later. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.